Father, this morning we just come to you. We come to you, Father. We just want to thank you. We just want to thank you, Father, for your goodness towards us. Who are we, Lord, that you are mindful of us? Who are we, O Lord, that you call us your sons and daughters? Who are we, O Lord, that you have promised us that we, if we overcome as your son overcame, we too would sit on his throne and reign with him? Who are we, Lord? Special people, a peculiar people, a holy nation, a people called out from darkness into light, a people called to declare your praises. Are we, Lord? This morning, Father, I pray we would have hearing ears and we would be still in your presence. And from the youngest to the oldest, you will have something to say to us. That we would receive it in our inner man, in our spirit. We would believe, we would obey. We would see the power of God in our lives. Prepare us. Prepare us for what you have for us, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Speak to us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. If you were here last Sunday, or if you were in and you listened to it online, we see the, the foundation structure of God's church. Any true church of God. After the foundation stone is laid in the heart of Every true believer, other than Christ, there is no other foundation stone. The four primary pillars on which an individual believer's life and also the church is built. That is, steadfast commitment to doctrine, to fellowship, to breaking of bread or judgment, and of prayer. This morning we will have communion after the word, so be prepared. And the key word in that is we are committed, we are steadfast, committed. It's that commitment to these four that gives us our confidence, not for just for today, but also if the Lord were to come today. If you go to a typical Indian railway station and uh, you look at the people there, and when the train comes, you will see two kinds of passengers. You will see one set of passengers who are confident. They're just waiting for the train to arrive. And they're standing according to the signboards where they know their compartments will be. And there is another kind of passengers who are running after that man with that black coat. The difference is one set of people have confirmed tickets. And the others are waitlisted. When you are waitlisted, you are not sure whether you can get in or whether you will get a seat. A lot of Christians are not sure. They will run around like waitlisted passengers. Third is because we are committed to doctrine. Committed to doctrine. When you are committed to doctrine, one foundational pillar is there. When we are committed to fellowship, that's our outward life. Scripture talks about an outward life. We, another pillar is there. When we are committed to judgment, that's the other pillar. We are committed to an inward life. 
and you go through the epistles, any any of the apostles' epistles, you will see these are foundational. That is where our confidence comes from. Because you can be confident when you are living. You don't have to fear. You don't have to run around every pastor you see, pray over me so that I can be sure where I am going. You don't have to run over every miracle worker, every prophet, every meeting because you are not sure. The reason you go is because you are sure. Understands the difference. So we are here on 3rd of December, the first Sunday of the final month. And you can see the season is here. We had songs welcoming this season. Don't forget the season. Like we say, don't forget the reason behind the season. Because we have an enemy who is active in every form of the society. If he cannot take the season away, then he would like to replace Christ with Santa Claus. And he does very successfully. If you go now, probably they'll start. December is here. You go to the malls. You go to the airport. You will not see Christ. But you will see Santa everywhere. Because very cleverly, he cannot take the season away, but he has to replace Christ with Santa. And if you ask any child anywhere, what do they identify Christmas with, they will say Santa. Last week, uh, or the final Thursday of November in U.S., it's a big day. It's called Thanksgiving. It's when the families always get together. But even if you see Thanksgiving and you see the advertisements, Thanksgiving, they cannot take it away. So they replace Thanksgiving with Turkey. Turkey is a part of Thanksgiving. I'm not joking. Turkey is a part of Thanksgiving because it's connected with the history. But they call it Turkey Day now. Malls, shopping complexes, advertise it as welcome to Turkey Day. Thanksgiving, see how this subtly replacement takes place so that we forget our focus. Thanksgiving is not about Turkey. It is about God's faithfulness. So in the same way, when Resurrection Sunday comes, you will see subtly being replaced with Easter eggs and Easter bunny. So we have to be watchful so we never lose our focus. The season, what's the reason? And how do we live in that season through that, through the year? In 1st Timothy, chapter 1, verse 15 to 17, this is Paul's response. There is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Okay, This is the attitude of this incredible apostle. He says, you know what? Why did Christ Jesus come? To save sinners. And of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first, Jesus Christ must show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. He says, you know what? Christ Jesus came to save sinners, of which I am chief sinner, he says. And he says, you know what? He used me, a man who deserved no mercy. He showed mercy on me, so that everybody who believes will look at my life and say, God showed mercy to him, so I have hope. 
If God could save Saul of Tarsus, he can save anybody. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever. Amen. Understand that. What it means. What it actually means to be saved. What does it really, really mean? What's our attitude? In Ephesians chapter 2 verses 12 and 13, he puts it across to us. At that time, that time, you are without Christ. If you are without Christ, we are aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Can you imagine? The people you actually envy in the world and in the offices, wish you could be like them, but actual statement of God about them who do not know him, they really have no hope. They are living in this world, but they are living without God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, we who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what has happened. That's what salvation actually means. That's what Christmas means. That's what this entire life of ours means. God brought us near in Christ. We were people without hope. We had absolutely no hope. We didn't know Christ and we fell dead. We ended into an eternity without God and eternal darkness. God brought us to Christ. Therefore, scripture talks us and teaches us, if that is really, really true, like Paul's life, you look, it was a living reality for him every day of his life. That was the passion he had for Christ. You saved me, chief of sinners, the worst of sinners, you saved me. I'm eternally grateful to you. What is the attitude of a believer? Of a believer. What is the attitude of saved people? In Psalm 100 and verse 4, scripture says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Okay, look at this. Enter his gates. Who can enter his gates with thanksgiving? Only those who are not condemned. Gate is, gate in the Old Testament is the place of judgment. It's a place of terror. It's where the sword comes down. It's the place where the verdict is passed. Guilty. Wages of sin is death. But he says, for us, because of Christ, we can enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So this morning, just think, when you opened your eyes, very thank you. Very grateful. Enter his courts, scripture says, with praise, with thanksgiving. Why? What's the reason? Why can we, why, why is that we can always be grateful irrespective of our circumstances? Because some, verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. We are His people. 
That's if you are saved, nothing is going to change that fact. Nothing is going to change that fact. We are people who have read the end of the book. So it doesn't matter what happens to us in this life. We already know what happens in the next. Death has no power. Death has lost its power over us. Because we are his people. We cannot lose. Like the song Rishi sang. He's won the war. The war is over. The war with sin, the war with death is over. Therefore, people who are saved come with that attitude into life forever, forever. Because we have hope. And hope that is real and hope that is eternal. Therefore, we are a thankful people. We are a grateful people. Because the world is characterized by ingratitude. God's people should be characterized by gratitude. We are grateful. Grateful to God. That's why we enter His courts with thanksgiving every day. Every day we enter and we say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for one more day that I can serve you. And thank you, Lord, if I die, I don't have to fear. We are grateful in life or in death. In First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18, Scripture says, this is the will of God for us. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything, everything give thanks. Like I said, only a saved person who understands and values his salvation and the price his Savior paid to save him is able to see the truth in this. In everything, I can give thanks. In everything. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for us. Like I said, we live in a world that is indifferent and ungrateful. Paul was a person who never forgot where God had picked him up from. David was an Old Testament saint who never forgot where God picked him up from. The problem is we have grown up with what we call in English an entitlement mentality, meaning that I deserve this. And there is a theology that has come in for years and peppered through the airwaves and the TV waves where you are encouraged to proclaim and confess all this as yours. All this as yours. Claim it, claim it, claim it. The more you claim it, the more selfish and the more ungrateful you become because the truth is nothing in life comes free. Nothing comes from claiming. Nothing comes. Behind anything you and I have, there is a sacrifice. There is hard work and sacrifice. Behind the salvation you and I enjoy and live in is the incredible hard work of Jesus Christ living every day, fighting sin and never falling into sin. Hard work every day of his life and the sacrifice of his death. On the cross. But if we live in that entitlement mentality, then we will forget to be grateful. If you look at people, what has happened, like I was showing 
wife and my sister a clip I had got just from a psychologist. And uh, what he was talking about is the entitlement mentality which a generation now has grown up with is we don't value anything anymore. And it creates a lust in us for more and more things. Because we have lost its value. We take for granted even things like this. Which the apostles didn't see. Emperors didn't enjoy. Kings of Solomon didn't have any clue of. We take it for granted. Take it for granted. Because we take it for granted. See, any place I walk into, usually what happens is I have to keep on switching off lights and fans which are not being used. Because we take it for granted. We take it for granted. We don't close taps. We don't switch off lights. We leave it. Who cares? You know why? Because we have taken all these things for granted. It doesn't come free. Nothing comes free. Somebody is paying for it. It doesn't come free. We throw away things, one little dot, one little tear. It's gone. One little tear, one big tear we used to stitch. That's how we all learn to dance. Now we just put it away. No. Guard your heart. Because the problem is when this starts seeping into our soul, we also start taking salvation for granted. We also start taking church for granted. We started taking the things of God very, very lightly. And then when the hour of evil comes, we will realize we are not able to stand. First Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 8, the psalmist David will say, On that day David first delivered this psalm into the hand of Asaph and his brethren to thank the Lord. Look at this king. What a king. He's writing to his worship leader. He says, thank the Lord. What? Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. This is, you know, this is a man. God loved. This is a man who loved God and was incredibly grateful. This season, start this season, take it into the whole of next year. Start today. Lord, I want to be really, really thankful for everything. Because this is the will of God. And see how things change actually in our lives when we start thanking God for everything. Every little thing. Why? We will come to it later. But let's learn from Jesus. Jesus is the best person to learn from. We know about him feeding the 5,000. But today I look at a small portion. and Different portions of feeding of the 4,000. In the feeding of the 5,000, which is there in all four Gospels, when he takes the bread, Scripture says he uh, blessed it. All authentic Scripture says he blessed it. When it comes to the feeding of the 4,000, this is how it says in Matthew chapter 15. 
he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. Unlike the previous one, which was one day, in this case, they were following Jesus for three days. Three days. They were following. And they were hungry and tired. And Jesus said, let's feed them. The disciples, the usual answer, he asked them, how much do you have? They say, seven loaves of four and a few small fish. He took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks. Thanks. Now, we learn from him because we don't give thanks unless something spectacular comes into our hands. Imagine you go back to school next week and your results come. If you get 90 plus, thank you Lord. What if it's only 36? What if your salary is a little less this month? They cut off 10% off. What was given to his hands was very little. Very little. The need was huge. Huge, massive. 4,000 men, women and children beside. He took it and he thanked God. We are at the beginning of the month, the third of this month. I don't know how much provision you will get. We will get into our hands. But I promise you, scripture says, we trust it has come from him and we thank God. There is one God alone who can multiply it. But for him to multiply, there is an attitude that goes. There is an attitude that goes for him to multiply. You may have very little strength, very little provision, very little skills, very little capacity to understand subjects. Genuine issues people have. Very little PR skills. Very little. It doesn't matter. That little if it was given by God, can we just thank God for that? And say, Lord, I trust you. I believe you. I just want to thank you for that little. Thank you for that little. Thank you. That's how Jesus dealt his life. Thank you, Lord. Not the complaining. He never complained. He never complained. One thing you go through Jesus' life, you will see he is never complaining. He never complains. Whatever it is, he just lives for his father and he thanks his father. This is with provision. This is one of the major struggles for many people. Struggle. How am I? How am I going to meet? Whatever little it is, God says, just thank me. I'm a God who is able to multiply. In another instance in his life, this is even more difficult now. We know Lazarus was ill. Lazarus is dead. Lazarus has been dead for four days and Jesus comes. There is tension in the air. They are all crying. A little accusation also here. If you loved him so much, why was he delayed? Sisters wailed a remark. Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. All that is there. He also wept. Sorrow is there, natural man. Sorrow is there, all that is there. 
then he makes this statement if you believe you will see the glory of god and he says take away the stone take away the stone martha the sister of him who was dead said to him lord by this time there is a stench for he's been dead four days there's a real tension because nobody has any clue what he's going to do nobody has any clue and no and you don't pay respects to a body that has been dead for four days and there is no freezers those days jesus said to her did i not say to you that if you would believe you would see the glory of god take away the stone yes then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying and jesus lifted up lifted up his eyes and said father i thank you in the first case there was little provision in the second case in your life you have no provision at all it's dead it's gone imagine it is a situation like that it is dead not only is it dead there is no hope there is it's stinking it is stinking and he says father i thank you that you have heard me i thank you that you have heard me this is the confidence scripture says we have when we walk in his will this is the attitude jesus said father i thank you i don't know what is dead in anyone's life here today but we believe in a god who resurrects the dead who brings and speaks life into dead things but before that can happen there is something that happens in the heart the heart that is of gratitude maybe somebody's marriage is stinking it looks dead maybe you have lost hope about your children Remember the prodigal son when he was in the pig's pen? The response in the father's house, my son was dead. The son was dead. Can we give thanks for dead things? By faith? Because there's only one who has resurrection power. Nobody else. There's only one. who has resurrection power nobody else he is the resurrection and the life can we thank god lord it looks dead it stinks but i thank you i thank you i just thank you and i believe you can resurrect my marriage you can resurrect my children you can resurrect my life you can resurrect my state in my office or in my school whatever it is i don't know what it is god knows because he is god of resurrection but for that there is an attitude 
Faith has an attitude. Faith is a proclamation. But behind that proclamation, there is an attitude. Jesus is teaching us something here. He says, I know you always hear me. I know you always I know you always hear me, Dad, because I've never been outside your will. I've never done anything outside your will. All I could have stood there and just said, Lazarus, come out. But I want the people who are standing by, I want them to hear this. There are people here. I want people down the centuries to learn a lesson, the heart of a true child of God. Thank you, Father, for every situation in my life. I thank you. I want them to hear that they may believe you sent me. We are a grateful people. We are not a grumbling people in our schools, colleges, offices. We are not a grumbling people. We are a grateful people. We are a grateful people. When he had very little provision and a huge need, he was grateful. When he was faced with something which was dead and stinking, he was still thankful to his father. And then finally, this is just three instances from his life. We are just looking at his heart at the end of his life. Mark chapter 14. We will see and we will also come to that. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Here also you will see in Luke, if you read, you will see he gave thanks. Or if you go to Corinthians chapter 11, you will see a scripture will say he gave thanks. Can you imagine what is he giving thanks for? Lord, this is my body that is going to be broken tomorrow. Thank you, Lord. That's exactly what he's saying. Thank you, Lord. That's the will of God for me. Thank you for your will. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you. Everything give thanks. It's exactly what he's saying. This is my body. It's going to be broken tomorrow. And he says, thank you. He took the cup, and after he had given thanks, this is my life. Which is going to be poured out tomorrow. Thank you Lord. You see his attitude never changed. Irrespective of the challenges he faced. And he is teaching us. Because when things get tougher. One of the things that go out of people's heart and mind. Is one the attitude of gratitude goes. And the praise stops. But they go together. If you are not grateful, you cannot sing. You cannot sing. Enter his courts with, gates with, thanksgiving and his courts with, praise. It goes together. Thanksgiving and praise goes together. They are connected. But our thanksgiving and our praise is actually tested by situations, whether they are real. Our situations will prove how grateful we are. And his life, the Savior's life, was 
characterized by thanksgiving. By that attitude, Lord, thank you. Now let's go to another instance in his life. We all know this. We know this very well. So that we apply it to our own lives. One day when Jesus is going, there are ten lepers. It's a terrible life to have in the Old Testament, even now. Terrible, terrible life. Ten of them. They stood far off. They had heard about it. <coughs> They had heard about Jesus. The first time they heard leprosy is being healed. It's hope for the hopeless. In the Old Testament, you knew, you know, all this is written, but only one leper was healed in the entire Old Testament history. That is Naman. Not a single Hebrew was healed. Naman. Other than if you want to use the example of Miriam, seven days, nobody was healed. So here is, leprosy is getting healed, they can get their life back. It's a living death. Ten lepers standing far off, crying out to him, Lord have mercy. Jesus said, what do you want? Healed. Healing. He said, go your way. Go your way. Show yourself to the priest. He's sticking to the order which he had given to Moses. Only the priest can declare you, you are healed, so that he can return back to the community. Go to the priest. Scripture says, while they were going, they obeyed, took him at the word, while they were going, they were healed. One of the many saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice and glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. It is true. Even now it is true. You find every grateful Christian you will see has come. He's a Hindu convert or a Muslim convert. He gives thanks. He's grateful. He has an experience of what it is to be living in darkness to come into light. He's grateful. He's grateful for the word. He's grateful for the fellowship. He's grateful that he's part of the kingdom of God. For most Christians, it is just religion. He's grateful. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus has a question to ask. He asked a question in verse. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Now think in terms of everything we are talking about when it comes to the believer's life, these four pillars. We talk about doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. Okay, let me ask you. Why is it in the persecuted nations they will give their life to hear doctrine? Any opportunity to fellowship, to be able to break bread is incredible for them if they can do it and if they can gather to pray. Wow, they will never miss those opportunities. Why? And while in free countries, you have to text them, SMS them, call them and if they don't come, they will never inform, they will switch their phones off. Why? Why? Ask ourselves. 
Where does this come from? Isn't he the savior for the believer in China and North Korea and the savior for those in India too and America? Isn't this? Salvation is through the same process. There is no different process for others. It's the same way. Wasn't ten cleansed? Was not anybody found except this foreigner? Except this foreigner. This foreigner who came back was twice an outcast. One, he was never allowed to enter into the temple. He was in the outer courts because he's a Samaritan. So even before he had leprosy, he was not allowed to go where the other nine were allowed to go. And then when he had leprosy, he was outside everything. So when they all became lepers, suddenly they all fellowshiped. They all fellowshiped. Now they are being healed. This nine has reverted back to their old religion. Attitude. Entitled. After all, we are Jews. We are entitled to healing. We are entitled to healing. I'm a Samaritan. I'm entitled to nothing. And I'm going back to him who healed me, who cleansed me, fall at his feet and give him thanks. How do you see yourself? Entitled but we deserve nothing. The Hebrew of Hebrews, Paul says, I am entitled to nothing. I'm chief of sinners. And I'll give him honor and glory ever and ever. Amen. This is our major issue. This is our major issue. Leprosy, physical symbol in the Old Testament, spiritual is like sin. In Numbers chapter 5, the judgment over anybody who had uh, leprosy was this. Numbers 5, 2. Command the children of Israel, they put out of the camp every leper. Every leper out of the camp. We are gone, you are out. You shall put out both male and female and you shall put them outside the camp that they may not defile their camps in the midst of which I dwell. Two things what happened to somebody who had leprosy. One, you are cut out of the church, congregation of Israel. Two, you are cut out from God. Both from God and man. Do you see that? Our commitment to doctrine is because we are committed to God. Our commitment to fellowship is because we are committed to each other. And a leper is cut out from both. It was a living death to sin. And it didn't matter who it was in Israel. The law was for everyone. It didn't matter who you were, male or female, beggar or king. It didn't matter. You're out. As long as you had leprosy, you were out. Just a living death. In Second Chronicles chapter 26 verse 21, scripture says, King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. Who is he? The king. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper. 
for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Who is he? The king. Then Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. The time when the kingdom has two kings. The son is ruling on the behalf of the father. The father lived isolated as a leper till the day he died because that's one disease you cannot have. You're cut off from God and from man. That's what we wear. Understand what salvation means. That's why it's so powerfully given in the Old Testament so that we of the New Testament understand what Sin means you are cut off from the commonwealth of Israel. You are cut off from the living God with no hope. When genuine salvation takes place, when you really, really understand what salvation is, it you will never, ever take your salvation lightly. You will never take either God or the church lightly because you realize, you know what, I was cut off. I was cut off. I was cut off. I was out was out. And it didn't matter who you were, whether you are a king or a pauper, you are out. That's why we don't realize our privilege. Without Christ, we are not even a people. We are not even a people. Commonwealth of Israel and the community of lepers, they are not even considered a people with any rights. Any rights. And when God looked down, we were a people with no rights, excluded. Excluded. And it didn't even matter if you were half-breed. A Jew who had married a Gentile, half-breed. That's why Samaritan. Jesus said, go to the children of Israel. Do not go to the town of the Samaritans. The gospel is not for them. Until he dies and rises. Till then reconciliation cannot take place. We who were far off from God in Christ have been brought near. But when he walked on earth, he hasn't died. Atonement hasn't taken place. He said, not for them. They're all cut off from the commonwealth of Israel. Because there is no atonement for them. The high priest of Israel can make atonement only for Israel. Not for the Samaritans or the Gentiles. There's only one who can make atonement for the Gentiles and the Jews. It is Christ Jesus. When he comes, when he dies, when his blood is shed, that will bring both together. Till then, no atonement. Can you understand what it is? Salvation means how lightly we take salvation. That's why take these things seriously. There's nothing greater in life you will have than this. Value it. Because before we were saved, we were excluded from this. We are excluded from this. You may have been a Christian, born a Christian, but you are not born again Christian. So what happened? Because we were not included into the commonwealth of Israel, whenever we read this, the veil covered our eyes. We could never see. That's what scripture says. The veil covered our eyes. We could not see. We read it, we memorized it, we quoted it, but the veil covered. We could never understand it. Never was food for us. It was never life for us because we were excluded. In Christ, the veil was opened. Only in Christ. 
only in Christ. You could be part of a church all your life. But if you were not born again, the spirit missed you. You were not in Christ. You are not in Christ. You are not in Christ. Because to be in Christ, the spirit of God has to be in you. He is the one who baptizes you into Christ and makes your body of Christ. So you could be sitting in the physical church and never be part of Christ. That is where we need to understand what it is, what it means to be saved. The word of, we had this promise. A reverse of living water will flow. Will flow. That's an overflow of spirit in our lives. But for that, you know what scripture says? In Colossians chapter 3 verses 15 to 17. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body. Be thankful. Be thankful. Be thankful. Be grateful. Have no clue what salvation is. In eternity also we'll be understanding the intricacies of what salvation is. Be thankful. Let the word of God or Christ dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. This is why I keep telling over and over and over again, when you come together to fellowship, be very careful. Be very careful how you fellowship. The fellowship of a child of God, a spiritual, is always... Constrained by this, because the word of Christ is dwelling richly among you. It is the testimony of Christ you are dwelling on, and what Christ has done in your life. That's over which, and your songs are all spiritual, singing with grace in your hearts, because this is the key. You are grateful, and the word of God is dwelling richly in us. When it comes to the spirit, again God through the apostle will write in Ephesians chapter 5, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. How? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks. You will see in both, you will see the keys. There's a grateful heart. It's a grateful heart. The church may look poor. The church may be one little thatched hut. It may have no instruments. But you are incredibly grateful to be part of this church. Because in your spiritual eyes you know this is part of the body of Christ. It's got nothing to do with outer looks. You know what you are part of. And you know whom you belong to. And in both cases scripture will talk about an attitude which is of being thankful, being grateful to God. And then the Spirit dwells in us, the Word dwells in us, or the Word dwells in us richly, and the Spirit fills us. But there is an attitude behind it. Each day, you should be only aware of the salvation of God, growing in it. And when we grow in salvation, we grow in gratitude, when we understand 
Because like the leopards, all we could do was stand far off and cry out for mercy. That's all they could. They could only cry out for mercy. Remember, salvation is not a right. It is not a privilege. It is not. Nobody can claim salvation as your right. It's not a right. It's not a privilege. It's based on the mercy of God. It is based only on the mercy of God. Salvation is not a right. Not even for the Jew. It's not a right. Not for the Gentile. Nobody has a right to salvation. Romans 9, 15 and 16 is very clear. He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will. Mercy. And I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but God who shows mercy. Nobody has a right to the mercy of God. He says, I will show mercy to whom I want to show mercy. It's not a right or a privilege. So if we were shown mercy, shown mercy, we are incredibly grateful people because if you look at this area, big area, maybe three or four lakh people, how many received mercy? How many received mercy? How many received mercy? See, when we were, uh, when we were young, I, w- I was young, that's a long time ago, okay, I was young. When we played football in Bhutan, okay, you could only have 22 people in the team. You can't have 30 playing football, okay, 22 people. But instead of 22, 100 will be on the line wanting to play. So everybody is looking at me because I have the ball. He who has the remote is the boss, right? I have the ball. So the boss is me. So how do we pick a team? This is, I walk through the line, push this fellow one side, push this fellow one side, this, this, by the time you reach 11, two teams are done. And the fellow who gets into the team, you can see his joy. He will be doing a plane ride over because he got into the team because it is only dependent upon mercy. No rights. Just think, 100 in the line, 22 made it. When you say 22 made it, it also means 78 did not. Okay, you have to look at both sides. When you say, I made it, it also means a lot of others did not make it. And this is a choice not based on merit at all. He has mercy on whom he chooses to show mercy. That's why he asks, where in ten healed? Ten of you cried for mercy. Lord have mercy. I showed mercy to all. Only one came back. Only one came back. Only one. Each day, the word of God challenges us to be committed to him and committed to one another and to be a grateful people. Grateful for every little thing we have. Every little thing we have. This is why God puts this. I've seen this consistently happening in lives of people. If you love things, you don't become more grateful. You become less grateful. The more things you have, the less grateful you become. The more you love things, 
the less you love anybody. That's the reason God says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Because you, we as parents make this mistake thinking the more we give to our children, the more they will love us. They don't. They don't. They actually don't. What we breed in them is the mentality of entitlement. You know what? I deserve it. That's why I get it. God says, be careful. Be careful. Don't take salvation lightly. Because it costs. Christmas costs. When we talk about Christmas, oh, now the mangers are all look so cute and so comfortable, we want to get into it. But that is not the real story. The real story is not that. The real story is when there is a knock on the inn door and they all look at her and they say, there's no room for the Savior. There's no room. Probably compassion looking at her full term. It's stable outside. No room. There's no room for him anywhere. There was no room for him where man dwelt. The animals he created gave him room. The humans he created in his own image said, no room for you. That's the first Christmas. But that's the way he chose to come so that he could save us. So that nobody could uh, be fearful in approaching him. Approaching. See, the poor shepherds also could go because he was in a Manger. Rich kings also could go because he was in a little house. But if he was in a palace, would the shepherds go? No. Could we go? Now a president's daughter came and lived at Faluknama Palace. It was sanitized. Nobody could go anywhere near it for two days. Can you imagine if Jesus was born in the palace in Jerusalem? Could anybody go? But he came so that everybody could go. So he says, I will choose a place where everybody can come. No, nothing stops you. But did anybody go? No. So he chooses to show mercy to whom? He wants to show mercy. Salvation is not a right or a privilege. It is a blessing. Therefore, we value that more than anything else. But when we are grateful and we value something, it always shows in our attitude and in our action. That's the joy of ministering in underground churches. Joy of ministering in underground churches is that not that they understand like you do. You understand better than them doctrine. It is not that they understand because some, many of them are semi-literate or illiterate. But you see their passion for Christ it's interesting to go there. The passion in worship, the passion in gathering every opportunity given, though it is a risk for them, their life, their career, everything, you see their passion. Like I said on Wednesday, we are not emotional people. We are passionate people. 
Jesus was incredibly passionate about his father's will for him. And what we see lacking is passion. There's no passion for the word. There's no passion for fellowship. No passion in judging oneself. There's no passion in prayers. It's all routine. It's all routine. One of the major reasons is because we have taken salvation as a privilege. And not an act of mercy by God. Therefore there is no thanks. The greatest attitude God is looking for, he says, is there somebody grateful here today? Somebody grateful? That's what he's talking about. Enter his courts with thanksgiving. Why? Because he is our God. He is our shepherd. and We are the sheep of his pasture. So he's telling Israel, of all the nations on earth, I didn't pick you because you are smart. I picked you because you are weak. And I called you by my name. You are my sheep. You are my sheep. I am your shepherd. So when you come into my presence, come how? With? I could have picked India. I could have picked China. I could have picked Nigeria. I could have picked Rome. I could have picked any nation. I could have picked any nation. Instead, I picked a people who were not a nation. I picked a bunch of slaves in a nation, made them into a nation, brought them out and said, I am your shepherd, you are my sheep. Now when you come, come with thanksgiving. Come with praise. Because your entire identity has changed. You are my people. The only living God, his people. Do we see ourselves as that? We are a people. doesn't matter what we lose in this life, in this world. It's irrelevant. We know who we are. And whose we are and where we are going. And we are excited every opportunity we get to go to him and meet together in his name. Because we know who we are. You know when Daniel was sentenced, Daniel was not sentenced but actually the decree was sentenced. 30 days nobody shall pray. 30 days nobody shall pray. Scripture says Daniel as usual. When to pray. When to pray. Now I want to look, we know that story very well, but we want to look at one tiny detail in Daniel's prayer. Daniel chapter 6. Now when Daniel knew the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day, and prayed and, and, gave, before his God, as was his custom since early days. Now go back to early days. Young boy. Slave in Babylon. Thank you Lord. I am alive and not dead. Thank you Lord. I have been picked by the king and not rejected as a slave. Thank you Lord. Thank you Lord. Did we ever see life that way? As was his custom since early days. What is to? To give thanks. Give thanks. That's what we don't see. We, we talk about Daniel the praying man, Daniel the scholar, but we don't see his heart. He was a thankful man, grateful man. He's always grateful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Why we have to guard this? 
be very careful about this. We will have issues. We tackle issues. But what I am talking about in the heart is this never changes. I thank you, God. We thank you, Lord. We just thank you. We just thank you for who we are in you and who you are to us. We just thank you, Lord. For every little thing, we just thank you. Because why? Because the sign of the last days in Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. But I know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves. They will be lovers of money. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, and unthankful. Unthankful. Unholy. Inside, if you look at the heart, no gratitude at all. No gratitude. No gratitude. No gratitude. That's a sign. It's a sign of falling away from grace. Mark that. When God starts moving His hand away from you, taking His hand away from a person, there is a corresponding change in their hearts. They become ungrateful. Romans one twenty one says, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful. They became futile in their thinking. In their thinking. The children of Israel whom God brought out with a mighty hand and took care of them in the wilderness. They were an ungrateful lot. So they became futile in their thinking. Smart in studies, futile in thinking. Excellent marks in maths, futile in their thinking. Because the hand of God is being removed. And their foolish Hearts were darkened. These are the smart Alex you see on the streets and you see in church. They always have a very sarcastic look on their glazed look in their eyes and a sarcastic look on their faces. They're very smart, but they don't realize in their thoughts they have become futile. And their hearts have become darkened because they are not grateful. They're not grateful. Gratitude is gone. Now entitlement has come. I told you about in Rajasthan when I went first time to Jaipur and uh, I was put up with a professor's home as a professor in bio, microbiology or something. Simple man, very nice, godly man, man, man. And then on his uh, sitting room on the wall there was a picture. It's a black and white framed picture. So it was a small little thatched hut with two people standing in front. I said, uh, what's that picture? I said, that's where I came from. Never want to forget where God brought me from. I may be this here, I may be a chodi, I may be all this here, but this is where he brought me from. I never want to forget that. Sometimes we forget where we came from. Sometimes in the process of 
studying a little hard, getting a few marks, getting a good job and a good salary, we forget where we came from. And we stop being thankful. We stop being thankful. And God says, remember, the very fact that we are sitting here is because of God's mercy. Just mercy. Mercy. Thanksgiving. If you turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding. See, thanksgiving and peace are always intricately connected. Joy, peace, thanksgiving, they are all connected. You cannot separate one from another. See, you can fake peace. Outwardly, you can fake peace. If you go to the Himalayas and sit like this, they will think you are a peaceful man. Or if you jump and dance, they will think you are happy. But, Thanksgiving cannot be faked. Real or not? You getting? Peace and Thanksgiving. All your supplication, whatever, it is true. He says, if you don't have problems, you don't have prayer. You don't need prayer. You have problems, you have issues, you have trials, you have testing, but says all of the, don't be anxious. Why? Don't forget whose you are. Don't forget who your shepherd is, your God. Don't be anxious. But in everything, but pray. Bring your supplication. But with what? With thanksgiving. Whatever issue you are facing in this temporal life, you have something to give thanks for always. Eternally, those things don't matter. Imagine two signs, two situations. Sumptuously, the rich man is eating in his house. Lazarus is clapping. I know where I am going. I know where I am going. Though he's hungry. So it didn't make any difference. His poverty make any difference. His hunger make any difference. His disease make any difference. No. Ultimately, he knew where he was going. So God says, with thanksgiving, let your request. Be made known to God. And the peace of God. God. This is a new covenant pattern of living. The type was given in the old covenant. In the old covenant, in Leviticus chapter 7, this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings. This is the law, God says, of peace offerings which he shall offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, if he offers it for a Peace offering, if he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving what? Unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers, anointed with oil, or cakes of blended flour mixed with oil. Beside the cakes as his offerings, he shall offer leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offering. So peace and thanksgiving are put together. A peace offering is a thanksgiving offering. A thanks offering, giving offering can be a peace offering, but he said it has to be unleavened bread. What is it? That is Christ, the unleavened bread. 
He gave, took the bread and took thanks, gave thanks. He's the only unleavened bread in which there is no sin. Leaven is a form of sin. Unleavened. Mixed with oil, anointed by the Holy Spirit. You see now what Paul is saying? Be thankful. Let the word of God dwell richly in you. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You will offer a thanksgiving offering unto God. And the peace of God will guard your heart. Where is the pattern? From the Old Testament. What the priest did physically, he says, you do it spiritually. He is the bread. Unleavened bread of God. Let it dwell richly in you. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Mix it with oil. And God says, the peace of God will guard your heart. Guard your heart. Now I can preach it to a community, but it can be done only individually. That also the Bible is very clear. Leviticus chapter 22. When you offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, offer it of your own. Because this is the nature of that offering. You cannot be coerced. You cannot do it for somebody else. You cannot be made to do it. It has to come because you look at the cross and you understand. And you are grateful. Let it be of your own free will. Your own free will. Always the connection is there. Always. Joy, peace, thanksgiving. Connection is there. If you go back to First Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God. In Christ Jesus to you. That's what's happening in the, in the prison in Philippi. It is thanksgiving. It is joy. And it is a peace of God that is guarding their heart. And God moves into their situation. In Philippians chapter 4, if you come, rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be near unto God. Did you see the correlation? How it goes together. You cannot isolate them. Because they are one package. Joy, peace, gratitude, they all go together. You cannot be ungrateful and ask for peace. You cannot be ungrateful and say, I don't know where the joy of my salvation is gone. It is gone because you are ungrateful. Now let's go to Psalm 100 and read the whole psalm. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Why? Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. And verse 5, the Lord is? The Lord is? The Lord is? Do you really believe? Honestly, do we believe? He's good? That's the key. That's the real issue Christians struggle with. People struggle with. People, though we may say it, we may really struggle with this concept, God is good all the time. That God cannot be bad. He's always good. 
This is not theory. This is the reality. God is good always. Always he is good. That is the principle that changes your life. God is good. Listen to this man in Genesis 50. Know it very well. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid for am I in the place of God? His brothers are scared. Father is dead. Are you going to punish us? For as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. What is he actually saying? The same thing which Job also will say. What is he actually saying? He says, look brothers, understand this. God is good. If God is good, he cannot do anything bad to me. If anything bad happens to me and I put my life into his hands, he will turn it around for good because he is good. Because he is good. Therefore, I can praise him because I know he is good. My temporary setbacks, the temporary evil I face in life is irrelevant to the fact God is good. So ultimately it doesn't matter what happens in my life because he is good and I commit my life into his hands, he will turn it around for good. Because he is good. Therefore, people like Paul and Joseph and all are able, Daniel are able to give thanksgiving because they know God is good. Period. It's always good. Our struggle is, we struggle with this. Is God good always? It's always good. It's always good. Because a good God can only do good things. That's what he says. You evil fathers, if you know how to give good things to your children, how much more? The policeman who's walking around with a stick and beating up everybody when he goes home, is he beats up his child? No, he's good to his child. The mafia fellow who gives a hit job to kill somebody else's children has got a ring of protection around his own. Why? Because though he's evil, he's good to his own. That says, you understand that, right? Then do you think me, a good God who's always good, will be evil towards him? So even if we face evil in our life, which we will face till he comes, because we have an evil enemy, God says, if you trust me and you thank me, I will turn it around for your good. That's what exactly Romans 8.28 means. We know that all things work together for the good. Epsiba, good. To those who love God. To those who call according to his it will work. It will work. It will work. Take a good look to yourself this morning. So many orphans. If you were not an orphan. If you were not an orphan. Let me tell you. None of us would, none of you would be saved. None of you would be saved. So even your fact that you were orphaned turned around for your good because he is good. Many single mothers sitting over here. It was a disaster when it happened. But 
because he is good, he turned even that around for your good. Did? He did? Because he is good. Bad things happen to us. Yes, it happened to us. Evil things happen to us because we have an enemy who is evil. But God is good. Therefore, we can enter into his courts with thanksgiving because he is our shepherd and we are the sheep of his pasture. That's why our attitude will determine always how God works in our life. Because a generation is come, the last generation will rise, which is an utterly ungrateful generation. Utterly. They are hooked on to things. And they are not grateful. Doesn't matter what you give them, they won't be grateful. Because their minds are futile, their thinking is futile, and their hearts have been darkened. But we are a people who have been brought out of darkness into light. And we are a grateful people. Just look at this familiar portion, very familiar by now. Acts chapter 16. Then the multitude rose up together. You will see the unity. There is incredible unity in the world against the gospel. Together against them. And the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten. They were stripped. Imagine. We don't read detail. Don't read it. They didn't do any harm. They only did good. What were they first? Stripped. Apostle Paul, Apostle Silas, Stripped. Then they were beaten with rods. Commanded them. When they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison and commanded the jailer to keep them securely. Another order. Secure them. What did he do? Having received such an order, he put them into the inner prison. The many layers of prison, he put them into the middle. Right in the middle so they cannot escape. And to be very sure, what did he do? He fastened their feet in the stocks. What did Paul and Silas do? They said, thank you Lord, that we could get stripped for you, because you hung there naked. Thank you Lord, we were beaten, we are sharing in what you went through. And thank you Lord, they did not put us in the outer ring, they put us in the middle so that everybody can hear our worship. That is what happened. That's why scripture says they were singing and the prisoners were listening. That's what scripture says. Sing to one another in spiritual songs and hymns. Fellowship. Talking about this God. What an awesome God. Because the world is watching and the world is listening and they are listening. What did King David say in 2 Samuel 22, Therefore I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. He wrote that. Paul acted that out. Lived that out. I will sing your praises among the Gentiles. Sing your praises among the Gentiles. And here are two people put right in the middle of the Gentiles. And what did they do? They sang praises. With a grateful heart. Because the world is watching. A Gentile, unbelieving world is watching to see authenticity of faith. Authenticity. These are things which you will not find in religion. 
You won't find this in religion. It cannot be duplicated. This is there or not there. This is of God or not there. Religion cannot duplicate. Religion can duplicate everything. Please don't look at outward things and say, Oh my God, did you look at this church? They have 20,000. 20,000 people come in, Hindu meetings, Muslim meetings, Buddhist meetings, and all happen. Bigger meetings. That's because you don't watch those channels. If you see the channel, their meetings are bigger than any Christian meeting. The largest gathering of humanity is in Mecca and in Allahabad. Not in any Christian meeting. So numbers irrelevant. Miracles, miracles happen there too. Preaching is very powerful and logical there too. None of these things matter. What matters is life. This is life. Which they cannot imitate. They cannot imitate. So this is life from above. Cannot be imitated. Cannot be imitated. Understand that. You put any one of them in the prison and lock them up in the prison, their songs go. You cannot sing anymore. Because to sing, you need to have life. Life from above. And grow in that life. So remember a world is watching. The devil is watching. Not only the, the world, devil is watching. In First Peter chapter 5, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring light, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Steadfast in faith. How do you resist him? In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, you are lying in prison. What is going to work? How do you resist him? You resist him according to faith. According to the word of God. According to the real life of Christ Jesus. When you are singing and giving thanks to God, you are resisting him. All his plans fall to the ground in the prison that day. Because they were steadfast and resisted in faith. They did not think they were privileged group. They said, we are suffering exactly as the rest of the body of Christ is suffering. So what do you think? We should be outside? No. It's good to be inside. We are not a privileged group of people. If the body of Christ has been suffering for 2,000 years, why should I be exempted? Why should you be exempted? It's our privilege to share in the suffering of Christ. Says, resist the devil. Declare his praises to the devil too. Declare his praises to the people. Because when our praise dries up, the enemy devours us. Resist him with gratitude, with songs of praise. What does the enemy come for? To steal, to kill, to destroy. To kill, steal, to kill, and to destroy. Do you know when we get destroyed? When we get destroyed? We get destroyed. We, we get Stolen, we get killed, but we know when we get destroyed, we complete annihilation. You know when we get destroyed? When we get destroyed, when we stop being grateful and replace it with complaining. Nothing remains empty, okay? When you stop being grateful and singing and thanking God, you replace it with what? And grumbling. Shall I show it to you from scripture? First Corinthians 10.10 nor complain, as some of them also complained, and was destroyed by the destroyer. 
Different judgments are given. For this group, serpents. This group, this death. This group, this death. This group, this death. But those who complained, the destroyer take them. Because they don't have a grateful heart. And they have replaced with grumbling and with complaining, forgetting who they were and where God brought them out from. That's why we don't grumble. We don't complain. We have issues, that's what we thank God. Thank you, Lord, through it all you are taking us through. Through it all, taking us through. So as we close and we we'll go to communion, in Second Chronicles, to King Asa FM, right? God will say this thing. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts is loyal to him. Eyes were, imagine God's eyes from one end of the world to the other end of the world suddenly stopped at Philippi. Hey! I see two hearts incredibly loyal to me, singing hymns, singing praise and thanking me. In the midst of their suffering, God says, I shall show myself strong on their behalf. That's what God is looking for. He always keeps saying this. God says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Faith is exhibited in different forms. And one of these forms is that, be a grateful people. Be a thankful people. Because even if nothing else happens into our life, it is still okay, we are saved. And we know where we are going. You know exactly where we are going. Therefore, we can rejoice. We can worship. We can sing songs. We can fellowship together. So this morning, as we come to the table, we would ask the elders to come, the worship team to come. Come to the table. Remember, when he came to his table, what did he do? When Jesus came to his table, scripture says, he gave thanks. As we go to this table today, we also give thanks. We thank God for the good, the bad, the ugly things we faced in life. We just thank God. Through it all, He has brought us through. light of today's word we don't have to repent of anything else I'm sure all of us all of us starting with me we have to repent of that one thing Lord I was not grateful all the time like we complained and bickered about the little inconveniences of life and we are a blessed people more blessed than any generation who lived. Any generation who lived before us. This time when I went home, my mother was, I had forgotten all these things. My mother showed me the mixie. And she said, did you see that mixie? I said, yeah. She said, works very well today. Still works very well. And she said, it had a little problem when I gave it for repair. The man said, Madam, don't give it away. It's excellent mixing. The motor is very good. And she said, do you remember? I said, no. He said, you bought for me that in 1990. When? 1990. Is this the year 2000? 
17 27 years ago okay something that was her first mixing mothers first mixing now one mixing on <laughs> exchange offer it doesn't even bother us i'm saying do we realize what a privileged generation we are privilege I remember growing up because that was the time we grew up you washed over your pen there was no dot pens dot pens were not allowed fountain pen you prayed the nib did not break always prayed the nib did not break because if the nib broke it was a tragedy in your life when the nib stopped ink stopped flowing you used a blade carefully take the dirt out so the ink will flow again now because you know by now what i love i got tons of pens for my birthday now it is use and throw use and throw use and throw do we realize our privilege that's what i said but don't take any of these things for granted none of these things matter the greatest privilege is that we are a saved people we are always grateful to god for that and because of that for every little thing because we suddenly realize everything we receive is because of his mercy why should we receive why should we receive we don't receive anything the earth and its fullness belongs to god we don't deserve anything it's his mercy because of his mercy we are grateful mercy we are grateful and one thing i'll always tell and i've told him and i've told my wife every time i have to preach and i thank god i said lord i have a pulpit a forum to preach called everywhere to preach given seats of honor everywhere to preach only because of you because if you go by the rules of local churches i shouldn't be called to preach anywhere so i will never take this or lord for granted even this for me is an act of mercy It's an act of mercy. Everything is an act of mercy. Nothing, nothing, take nothing in life for granted. It's because He's merciful. Therefore, we are grateful. So give thanks with a grateful. Give thanks to the whole. Because He's given Jesus Christ His Son Give thanks With a grateful heart We give you thanks To the Holy One Give thanks Because He's given Jesus Christ is God and now let the weak say I am strong let the poor say I am brave because of
Father, we just come to you, Lord. We just want to thank you for Christmas. Thank you for your son. Thank you, Lord, he came. Thank you, Lord, he lived among us. Thank you, Lord, he lived a sinless life among us. Thank you, Lord, he offered himself as a peace offering unto you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, he became the Lamb of God that took away the sins of this world. Thank you, God, that he became the atonement. Thank you, thank you, Lord. He went into the grave. Thank you, Lord, that he rose from the dead. Thank you, Lord, that he's seated on the right hand side of the Father. Thank you, Lord, that he's forever making intercession for the saints. Thank you, Lord, today we can stand in your presence and thank you for everything, O oh Lord. We just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you, Lord. We just thank you. Thank you, Father. We thank you because we know you are good. We thank you for everything that has happened in every life seated here because you are good. And we know, Lord, all things work together for the good of those who love Christ Jesus and are called according to his purpose. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Today, Father, as the elements come to us, I pray each one of us will partake of it with a grateful heart. Thank you, Father. Bless your holy name. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can you imagine if life, what life would be if there was only the second coming and there was no first coming? If Christ had only come once, not to save, but to judge. That's why those powerful pictures in the Old Testament about lepers. You would wonder why so much is given about leprosy and what lepers are asked to do when there were no lepers who were healed. There's a portion from Leviticus. This is what we would have looked like if Jesus had come. Shall we have it? It's Leviticus 13 and verse 45 and 46. Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn, his head bare, he shall cover his moustache and cry. That's how he would be. Jesus had come. Only once. All of us Gentiles have been standing there with torn clothes, bare heads and crying. Unclean, unclean. He would be absolutely consumed by his holiness. That's why we are able to sing with a grateful heart. That's why we can be thankful all the rest of eternity. So this month, starting this month, through the years to come, let's work on this to be grateful. Because all things work together. Can you imagine Joseph... Thank you, Levi. Thank you, Simeon, for throwing me in the well. Thank you. Thank you. Please, I really thank you for all of you. I'm not angry with you. Thank you for throwing me into that well. And no. Potiphar must have been sitting like this. Mrs. Potiphar, I just want to thank you. <laughs> I thank you for the false accusation. And sir, I thank you for not investigating it. 
thank you for throwing me into the prison and baker thank you thank you prison warden thank you gave me the liberty to go around in the prison and you but uh, cup bearer thank you for teaching me what the court is like and pharaoh finally thank you you see how god can turn it around so make it a lifestyle start thanking god for the husband you have and many are waiting for husbands thank god for the wife you have thank god for the children you have where many are waiting for children thank god for the boss you have why because many are waiting for bosses because they don't have a job they don't have a job thank god for the boss you have thank for the colleagues you have thank god for everything look back today start really start thanking god Thank God. Thank God. Lord, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Let's be a people who are grateful. Okay, the title for today's message was Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. We were a people who were judged guilty. Wages of sin is death. And grace came into our midst, saved us. Therefore, we are a people who are grateful. Shall we stand? Shall we sing? Father, we just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you, Father. We thank you for life. Your word says, even before we were formed in our mother's womb, you knew us. Thank you, Father. That we were born. If you hadn't known us, we wouldn't have been born. We would have had no life. Thank you for life. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for everything that you have done and you are still doing in our lives. We just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you, Father. By faith, Father, I bring everyone to you. And I thank you for each life here. And I commit them into your hands. And I pray you would bless them. You would bless us, you would keep us. And you would keep our hearts always grateful, Lord. Grateful for who you are. For our God is good. Always good. Therefore, everything that you allow in our lives will turn out for our good. Help us to thank you all the way. until we see in the book of revelation the elders everyone laying their crowns at your feet giving you honor glory and thanksgiving and that day in that multitude we also want to stand and give you thanks face to face lord but now by faith we just want to thank you thank you father thank you thank you thank you lord thank you We praise you. We worship you. We give you glory, honor, power. It's all yours and yours alone, oh God. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Now by faith we lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. Thank you, Lord.
For in Jesus name we pray. Amen. In the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and Amen.